Part Two, Chapter One of Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies by Frank W. Borum. Part Two, Chapter One the postman i must say a good word for the postman he occupies so large a place in most of our lives that as a matter of common courtesy the least we can do is to recognize his value and importance others may not feel as i do but i confess that i bless the postman every day of my life not that i am so fond of receiving letters for i bless him with equal fervency whether he calls or whether he passes I know that in this respect I am hopelessly illogical. If I am pleased to see the postman pass the gate, I ought, if strictly logical, to be sorry to see him enter it. And contrariwise, if the sight of the postman coming up the path affords me gratification, the spectacle of his passing my gate ought to fill me with disappointment. But I am not logical, never was, and never shall be. The best things in the world are hopelessly illogical motherhood for example a mother sits in the armchair by the fire even as i write she is chattering away to her baby she knows perfectly well that the baby doesn't understand a word she says knowing that she would if she were logical give up talking to the child but just because she is hopelessly illogical she prattles away as though the baby could understand every word it is a way mothers have and we love them all the better for it an illogical lady is a very lovable affair, but whoever fell in love with the syllogism? Robert Louis Stevenson is the most lovable of all our English writers, and the most illogical. Here is an entry from his diary, by way of illustration. A little Irish girl, he writes, is now reading my book aloud to her sister at my elbow. They chuckle, and I feel flattered. Anon, they yawn, and I am indifferent. Such a wisely conceived thing is vanity just so and why not there is a higher wisdom than the wisdom of logic if stevenson had been logical he would have felt elated by the chuckles and crushed by the yawns but he knew better and so do i if the postman passes my door i heave a sigh of relief that i have no letters to answer it is almost as good as being granted a half-holiday am i therefore to be angry when the postman enters the gate and accepts his letters with a grunt not at all in that case i throw my logic over the hedge for the edification of my next-door neighbor and feel pleased that some of my friends are thinking of me i greet the postman with a smile and try to make him feel that he has rendered me an appreciable service as indeed he has i am writing on the hundredth anniversary of the birth of anthony trollope and i fancy that it is the thought of trollope and his extraordinary work that has set me scribbling about the postman for trollope was much more than a novelist he was, in a sense, the prince of British postmen, and the forerunner of Roland Hill and Henniker Heaton. To a far greater extent than we sometimes dream, we owe the efficiency of our modern postal service to Anthony Trollope. But before he died, he became the victim of serious misgivings. He feared that we were losing the art of letter-writing. He produced a bundle of his mother's love letters. In no novel of Richardson's or Miss Burney's, he declared, is there a correspondence so sweet so graceful and so well expressed 
what girl now studies the words with which she shall address her lover or seeks to charm him with graced diction and this lamentation was penned mark you years and years ago before cheap telegrams and picture postcards had become the normal means of communication i suppose the real trouble is that we have allowed the amazing development of our commercial correspondence to corrupt the character of our private letter writing we indite all our letters in the phraseology of the business college we write briefly tersely pointedly and most abominable of all by return of post i should like to write a separate chapter in vigorous denunciation of the prompt reply private letters should never be hastily answered if my friend replies instantly to my long familiar letter he gives me the painful impression that he wants to be rid of me and is unwilling to have on his mind the thought of the letter he owes me one of these days i shall start a new society to be called the wait a week society its members will be solemnly pledged to wait at least a week before replying to their private letters there are strong and subtle reasons for taking such a vow first of all private letters should be easy leisurely chatty and should only be written when one is in the mood or when for some reason the person to whom it is addressed is specially in one's thoughts to this it may be replied that one is never so much in the mood to write to a friend as when he has just received a letter from that friend but the argument is fallacious he is a very happy letter-writer indeed who can write me a long free chatty letter without saying anything that will rub me the wrong way or with which i shall disagree during the first twenty-four hours after receiving his letter those are the things that are most emphatically impressed upon my mind if i reply within twenty-four hours my letter to my friend will deal largely with those disputations and controversial points and the inevitable result will be that the whole of my letter will grate upon him just as part of his letter has grated upon me but if as president of my own society i wait a week before replying to his letter i shall see things in their true perspective and write him a long and breezy letter in which the things that vexed me find no place at all i am often asked what is the unpardonable sin the only sin that i can never pardon is the sin of writing angry letters i can forgive a man for speaking hastily i have a temper myself but to deliberately commit one's spite to paper is to become guilty of an amazing atrocity and to degrade at the same time the postman's high and solemn office i bless the postman because he can do for me and do better than i could do so many delicate things i regard the postman as a faithful and indispensable assistant it often falls to a minister's lot to approach people and especially young people on the most delicate and important subjects upon their decisions much of their future happiness and usefulness will depend i must therefore go about the business with the utmost care but if i go to that young man and abruptly introduce the matter to him i at once put him in a false position and greatly imperil my chance of success we are face to face i have spoken to him and he in common decency must speak to me it would be a thousand times better if having opened my heart to him i could withdraw before he uttered a single word but as it is i have forced him into a position in which he must say something his judgment is not ripe his mind is not made up the whole subject is new to him and yet my indiscretion has placed him in such a position that he is compelled to commit himself he must say something without due consideration i stand there like a highway robber 
with my pistol pointed at his brow, and he must give me words. I may not want his words immediately, and he may wish he need not give his words immediately, but we are both the victims of a situation which I have foolishly precipitated. He speaks, and however he may guard his utterance, his final decision will inevitably be compromised by those hasty and immature sentences. The evidence must be perfectly overwhelming. That will lead a man to reverse a decision once made. And here am I, his would-be friend and helper, forcing him into a position from which he will find it very difficult to extricate himself. I meant to do him good, and I have done him an incalculable harm. I meant to be his friend, and I have become his enemy. So true is it that evil is wrought from want of thought as well as want of heart. Now see how much better the postman manages the matter. I sit down at my desk and write exactly what I want to say. I am not under any necessity to complete a sentence until I can do so to my own perfect satisfaction. I can pause to consider the exact word that I wish to employ, and if, when it is written, my letter does not please me, I can tear it up without his being any the wiser and write it all over again. I am not driven to impromptu utterance or careless phraseology. I am free of the inevitable effect upon my expression produced by the presence of another person i am not embarrassed by the embarrassment that he feels on being approached on so vital a theme i am cool collected leisurely and free and the advantages that come to me in inditing the letter are shared by him in receiving it he is alone and therefore entirely himself he is not disconcerted by the presence of an interviewer he owes nothing to etiquette or ceremony he has the advantage of having the case stated to him as forcefully and as well as I am able to state it. He can read at ease and in silence without the awkward feeling that, in one moment, he must make some sort of reply. If he is vexed at my intrusion into his private affairs, has time to recover from his displeasure and to reflect that I am moved entirely by a desire for his welfare. If he is flattered at my attention, he has time to fling aside such superficial considerations and to face the issue on its merits the matter sinks into his soul becomes a part of his normal life and thought and by the time we meet he is prepared to talk it over without embarrassment without personal feeling and without undue reserve in such matters and they are among the most important matters with which a minister is called to deal the postman is able to render me invaluable assistance there is something positively sacramental about the postman, for the letters that he carries have no value in themselves. They are simply paper and ink. They are precious only so far as they reveal the heart of the sender to the heart of the receiver. Here, for instance, is a letter for a young lady. She is at the door before the bell has ceased its ringing. She greets the postman with a smile and blushes as she glances at the familiar handwriting. As soon as the postman has closed the gate after him, she hurries down to the summer-house, her favorite retreat, to read her letter. But she is not alone. Bruno, her big colleague, goes bounding after his mistress. She reads the first pages of the letter and allows the sheet to slip from her lap to the ground, whilst she proceeds to devour the following pages. And as the fluttering missive lies upon the floor of the summer-house, Bruno examines it. A dog's eyes are sharper than a girl's eyes, yet how little the dog sees! He sees a piece of white paper covered with black marks, sees perhaps more in that respect than she does. Yet he sees nothing, and less than nothing, for all that. For she sees not the black marks on the white paper, 
but the very heart of one who worships her she is gazing so intently into the soul of her lover that she does not notice whether the t's are crossed or the i's dotted to her the letter is a sacramental thing its value lies not in itself but in the revelation that it makes to her and it is because the postman spends his whole life among just such sacramental things that we welcome and honor him we have an amiable way of transferring to the messenger the welcome that we accord to the message jesse pope describes the joy of a mother on receiving a wire from her soldier boy that he will soon be back again from the front home at six thirty to-day oh what a tumult of joy growing suspense flies away god bless that telegraph boy god bless that telegraph boy exactly and that is why we honor the postman the messenger always shares in the welcome given to the message how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that publisheth peace we ministers often share in the postman's benediction we are welcomed and honored and loved not so much for our own sake as for the sake of the great glad message that we bear the heart leaps up to the message and blesses the messenger god bless the telegraph boy god bless the postman End of part two, chapter one.